Park City. Who doesn't want to become the talk of the town here? I mean, make a name for yourself in this city, and it can feel like the most sparkling place on earth. Full of fireworks and excitement. But there are two ways you can become known here. You can become famous for doing good things, or you can become infamous for doing truly terrible acts. You want to avoid that second one. Whoa! All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Need Some Introduction. And today, Sona's back, back again. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Tell a Look friend. who's back, tell a friend. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are going to be talking about only murders in the building. Yes. Primarily. And then to kind of cap off the episode, I had a conversation with my sister where we've been continuing to watch the old man, the Jeff Bridges show, which I started talking. So just so you know, I started talking to her about this literally just as something to talk about, because I'm like, I don't know, there's nothing else on there right now that I want to watch. We're watching the boys and the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, which was terrible, just wrapped up. And I was like, well, I'll talk to her about this. And I, we love it. We think it's great. So anyway, so you might want to check it out. Interesting. It's like this, what channel is that on? Or how do you watch it? It's on FX, but you can watch it on Hulu. And it's a spy thriller. And it's just really unconventional in that, first of all, he's like this old guy who's kind of out to pasture, but he can still kick butt. But it just becomes an excuse for John Lithgow and him and Amy Brenneman just to have these like long conversations about like being old and like reflecting on your life. So it's a very unconventional take on hmm. this, uh, you know, the premise, give it a shot. The first two episodes are better than the third. I've only seen three so far, but those first two episodes are really, really exceptional. The writing is just great. Amy Brenneman gives this long speech in the first or second episode, I guess it would be. Uh, oh, and something happens in the second episode that I won't tell you what it is, but it is so shocking. You're like, oh my God, I can't believe they're going there. But uh, yeah, so check it out. Maybe you might enjoy it. Actually. Hmm, sounds interesting. Yeah. And we uh, will have the coverage of episode three, which uh, Celia and I watched and uh, have her feedback there just at cool. the end of this episode. Beyond that, I am covering The Boys, which is wrapping up next week. And then immediately after that, within days of the wrap up of The Boys, right into the final six episodes. So exciting of Better Call Saul, which I cannot Ooh. wait for. And of course, Son will be back for all of that. Damn straight. Uh, and what else can we talk about? Uh, while you've been gone, the Supreme Court done lost its mind. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there's that. <laughs> Maybe a little too much to unpack right now, but. Oh my goodness. <laughs> on a much warmer cozier night lighter note of murder <laughs> we have the return of only murders in the building which we had a pretty dedicated following we covered season one in this feed and you guys can track them down if you'd like to or if you're catching up on the show sona and i discussed the entirety of that show back uh back in august or september and pretty quick turnaround to that show which i guess hulu needed to get another hit out there and the first show was a huge hit and as far as i can tell anecdotally has grown uh, ever since. So I think it's going to be a big hit for them again this summer. And to that point, I got to tell you, tell me what you think, and, and we'll get into breaking down the episode. But I got to tell you that it's almost like I didn't know I missed this show. And like within yes. five minutes of the first episode, yes. I'm like, ah, I'm like, it's like slipping into a warm bath. I'm like, oh, I remember this. <laughs> I didn't even think I was that fond of this show. Exactly the same way. I rewatch, I mean, until I watched it earlier today and I was kind of like, wow, this is really good. Yep. I, I don't think I felt this way last year. I think I was kind of like, eh, it could come back. It could yeah. not. I could yep. watch it. It could not. But I really, really enjoyed these couple of episodes, I have to say. I feel exactly the same way where, you know, I may have liked the first season a little bit better, although it did kind of wear out its welcome towards the end a little bit. Still funny, no doubt. But I just kind of like, OK, I got the joke. Good. You know, I'm fine with 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 what I had. You know, we had like the kind of that silent episode, which is definitely the mm -hmm. highlight of that season. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then I kind of felt like, OK, we got everything we needed out of that show. But like you said, I had the exact same experience within the first 10, 15 minutes of the show. I'm like, wow, <laughs> I really do enjoy the vibe of this show. I forgot how much I like this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's because um, we know the characters now. So yeah. we have some kind of attachment to them. So it's like seeing an old friend or, or what it is. But I a thousand percent agree with you. 
<laughs> it's really surprising. Yeah, I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing that happened, by the way, was probably like five or eight minutes in, in my own mind, I was like, oh, this show is so cozy. It's like a nice like old shoe <laughs> that you find in your closet or something. And then uh, just as I, as I record from within my closet, <laughs> that's what comes to mind. It's a metaphor that comes to mind. <laughs> But the uh, um, but I said that, and then I think Amy Schumer in the show basically says, "Are you guys going to do a second season of the podcast? You make a murder so cozy." I was like, "Yes, <laughs> it is a very cozy murder show." <laughs> That's funny. I just have to say, I really enjoyed Only Murders in the Building. Oh, uh, thank you. No, no, much. no. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I was never that into murder before podcasts, murder podcasts, until yours. But you. You guys just made it feel so cozy, you know, just cozy murder. <laughs> so good. Plus, I, I mean, you, you were so raw, you know, all of you and just and not afraid of bombing, just really wasting people's time. Um, so we don't have to go beat by beat for the whole entire show, but some just some observations I had that I liked. Well, first of all, what do you think of having all these uh, cameos. I don't know if you want to call these cameos. They may be I major know. characters. Holy cow. I feel like the people are just, the, the big <laughs> names are just packed in here. Um, I mean, to the point that like there are, I, I'm sure I missed some of them because there are people that I thought like this person looks familiar, but you know, the show is moving so quickly that I don't have time right. to really examine it. And I, sometimes I do look that type of thing up, but today I just didn't. Um, but so far I'm actually, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Like I, I really, I, I'm just kind of slightly surprised at how I'm feeling about all of this, but in a good way, in a yep. good way. Same thing. for. <laughs> and what do you think before we start getting into details as well, what do you think of the mystery they're setting up here? Once again, similarly, maybe even improvement on season one, where I like the fact that we don't even know really what the shape of the mystery is. And they're just kind of dropping these little clues and they're complexifying the backstories for all these characters and it really feels a little more well-made than the first season where they were uh, like maybe not as confident in what they were trying to do, which is funny because this show and this season continuously keeps making jokes about this being a sequel, being a second season, uh, you know, how hard it is to like, you know, defy expectations in a second season of the podcast they're talking about. But of course, they're talking about the show itself as well. But I'm like, I think they're doing a really good job so far of, of improving on the on the first season. So, I mean, it's very early going, obviously, but. It's very early. Let's see how it all develops because, you know, I do have that concern always with, with a show like this. And I'm pretty sure I had it last season, but they haven't quite decided what they're doing as, they, as they're writing the mystery. And they <laughs> right. kind of like get halfway through and they're like, all right, who's it going to be? And let's start creating that storyline that is going to substantiate the person that we've decided is going to be the culprit. So I do have my doubts as far as that goes. I'm not sure I'm thrilled with this um, bringing in Charles's family right. heritage, I guess. I'm not sure that this is like the most compelling thing to me, but, right. but I enjoy the rest enough that it doesn't bother me. And I wonder, once again, I think I was a little, maybe I shouldn't set my expectations too high <laughs> because I was a little disappointed with where the, you know, I think I kind of had maybe higher expectations for the show over the course of its run last year than when it, where it landed. But similarly here, the fact that you're intentionally reaching out to this previous generation, talking about the history of that neighborhood where poorer mm -hmm. people, immigrants used to live. And now, of course, those same buildings are now luxury apartments and how mm -hmm. New York has just changed so fundamentally, especially that neighborhood has just changed so fundamentally. That's where my mom lived when she came here from India in the 60s. Wow. I didn't realize and, that. And uh, you know, when I came to live in the city decades later, I said something about living on the Upper West Side and she was kind of like the Upper West Side. So <laughs> dangerous. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like one of the safest neighborhoods in the entire city. But that, that was her experience. So all of that rings very true. And that is very interesting when you think about it. And it's not that long ago. I saw, I saw that Adam Curtis documentary where he was showing when New York City was bankrupt in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And you see all those, you know, the punk rock stars and, you know, the CBGB's crew basically were like squatting in vacant apartments, like literally climbing up fire escapes and climbing into these uh, apartments and using them as their studios on the Upper West Side. So that area was truly 
like in a bad spot, like in the late seventies, early eighties. Mm-hmm, and like, mm-hmm. just so how you just think about how 40 years has changed that and not even 40 years, right? Because you've already been living there for over a decade. So just uh, in 20 years, what, what a huge reversal happened in, in the city in general mm-hmm. for better and worse, by the way, some of the character has gone as well. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, <laughs> right? About what the city used to be, what the city is, what the city could be, but we all have many, many thoughts about. So. <laughs> we'll have bonus episodes about the Supreme Court and about the gentrification of the city as well. <laughs> well, you know, I'm actually, um, as you pointed out, I sound bizarrely mellow and it is because I'm in a vacation home right now with my with my family and I'm trying not to wake anybody up. But uh, the people that own this Airbnb, I think are New Yorkers. And there's this John Updike quote framed, which I have heard before, but I hadn't thought about it in a while. And the quote is, I took a picture of it. He had the true New Yorker's secret belief that people living anywhere else had to be, in some sense, kidding. And <laughs> I feel that very much in my bones. So, <laughs> so good, bad, whatever it may be, I will always love New York. It's still New York. And I think it's actually this whole show is a love letter uh, in that very regard, what you're describing. Mm-hmm, absolutely. All right. So into the plot a little bit, we see that everybody, right? I guess all three of them, we see intercut interviewed by now new cast member, or at least a cameo mm-hmm. here, Mike Rappaport, along with the mm-hmm. same detective from last year, whose name Who I can't so remember. Who is so likable. Love yeah. her. <laughs> she, mm-hmm. She's quite a character. Yeah. And it turns out we discover at that point that the knitting needle is not even the murder weapon. Well, thank God, because as somebody <laughs> who has knit in the past, um, <laughs> They are not all that sharp. So the idea of being able to stab somebody and kill them with a knitting needle, I mean, I just can't imagine the force, whatever, like I'm not a murderer. So I'm going to hold you to that, Sona. But it just, it just seems like you would need an immense amount of force in order to kill somebody with a knitting needle. (laughs) Even with multiple punctures, I think you would probably take a... Yeah. Like, but just to break through the, yeah, like... It just seems logistically difficult. (laughs) (laughs) And because they really don't even have the murder weapon, of course, they've let them out temporarily, although they're still prime suspects, obviously. And this leads them to, even though they've been warned to not start up the podcast again, of course, of course, the podcast is going to be start up again. I find it really interesting, by the way, this infamy, you know, they even have this, this interesting voiceover at the beginning saying that if you can't be famous in New York, you can be infamous in New York. And that's almost as good. (laughs) And, uh, Oliver is really enjoying that most of all, I think. Definitely. Although for a moment there at the beginning of this episode, I guess everybody's fantasies get a little tarnished by the end of all this. But for a moment, everybody seems to be getting exactly what they want. Mabel not only has a new potential love interest in Cara Delevingne, uh, who also mm-hmm. wants to invite her to a some kind of art commune, which may be a cult also. Mm-hmm. We don't know yet, sure. And uh, Oliver, of course, is in, enjoying his moment in the limelight here uh and, and amy schumer has amy big schumer plans. runs into amy schumer she wants to start a series around the murders in the building of course and of course uh we also see that brazos yeah Bra- brazos i remember <laughs> charles. I, charles, charles yes charles that charles of course now has a reboot as everything gets rebooted that even brazos is getting a reboot mm-hmm. and all of these things turn out to be not quite <laughs> exactly what they were hoping for but I do find it interesting that even if they get half of what they get here, it's still a lot more than they had before, right? So I think that mm-hmm. they're still in a much better place, <laughs> minus the murder charges, <laughs> of course. Of course, another, yet another cameo re- continuing from from last season is... Tina Fey. Tina Fey. I like when, uh, you know, she's playing this Cinda Canning podcaster who has, you know, targeted them as the, the plot of the next mm-hmm. series of her, like, serial-like TV show or, or a podcast, I should say. And I like this moment where, like, you know, she's like in their house with them while they're all listening to the podcast. In my new podcast, Only Murderers in the Building, we'll probe into the Arconia and three residents who remain prime suspects in the grisly stabbing death of Bunny Folger. Charles Hayden Savage, a washed up television cop whose blurred sense of fact and fiction led him into a tangled romance with the last Arconia murderer and whose father spent the latter years of his life in and out of prison. How do you know that? I'm Cindy Canning, bitch. Bloody Mabel Mora. 
the freeloading 20-something who has now been intimately involved in three grisly murders in the same building. We will uncover the roots of her violent past, not only as victim and witness, but also as a perpetrator. Whatever you think you know about me, it's not the full story. Girl, your crime is showing. You've been stained. Poppy, we don't need that line. What are you knitting, Cindy? Oh, Indiana. It's nice. Oliver Putnam, the derelict theater director who almost killed 12 people with his last Broadway outing, has a long paper trail of bunny hatred over the years. Don't you? Say it, forget it. Write it, regret it. You lunatic. You wouldn't. Tune in weekly as our investigation unfolds in real time. I'm Cindy Canning. Yeah. Haunting them, basically. While they're all knitting. <laughs> True. And the one lady is knitting Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> and just to lay out some of the clues we get in this particular episode, a few things that I noticed. One is the obvious one, right? That Mabel has like PTSD and she is reliving Bunny's death. And she remembers, first of all, that she said 14, right? So that's mm -hmm. one important clue. Later on, she finds out Savage, which turns out mm -hmm. that that's the name of the painting that they will discover in the second episode, which we'll get into in a second. It turns out it's some kind of erotic art featuring, like you mentioned, uh, mm -hmm. Charles's dad, <laughs> a little disturbing. How about that um, sneaky elevator in the back of the apartment? Oh, I love that, actually. I thought that was a really cool... Oh, my goodness. Like, yeah. as someone who, as you know, I'm very preoccupied with shows set in New York, and part of the reason is the real estate. Oh, yeah. that was amazing. And all <laughs> of the shots of the apartments, by the way, yes. in these episodes yep. were so interesting to me. Like, these are such amazing apartments. That's something that also seems like an improvement of the show. I don't know if it's the director or if they were shooting on sets for the interiors which they probably were and just the way that they shoot these shows and maybe they have a bigger budget and that's why they can last year it seemed like all the apartments were being shot the same way as if they're little panels and maybe this is intentional maybe it was a stylistic choice to make them almost like you're looking at a, a stage play right of each people mm -hmm. of these people within each one of their apartments and now like you mentioned we're going like into places we're going around places we're discovering like this elevator there seems to be like almost like uh, this place becomes almost like a maze instead of being these little boxes. And that, that in yes. and of itself is interesting. The spaces they live in is are more interesting than they were before. Like when you kind of- I just agree. See and I enjoyed yeah. them last year as well. I remember that. I, I mean, I still thought they were good last year, but it really struck me with these two episodes. Yeah. Just like when I play back season one in my mind, you have these very kind of medium shots where you see like someone in a kitchen and there are two or three yeah. people speaking or people, you know, standing around a microphone or they have the board in the living room and like everybody's kind of looking at someone putting stuff on their cork board or something like that. And it's like very framed, like I said, very stagey style of shooting something, which maybe is because Oliver is a stage manager. Maybe they were going for something there, but it just seems much more interesting this year where, you know, you see almost like the camera following people from room to room into closets and, you know, back through into the elevator. It just seems to be, uh, you know, and like I said, they could speak to the budget of the show. Maybe they're shooting on locations. Maybe they're, you know, maybe there's more uh, freedom they have there. Maybe it's COVID protocols. I don't know, <laughs> but still it's, it just seems more expansive than it did last year. Mm -hmm. And then in season two, I mean, and then in episode two, I should say, we see, you know, we, we kind of expand on the mystery of the painting. Mm -hmm. And we're episode one, by the way, it's episode two was a slight step down from episode one. I still really enjoyed it, but it really got into the mechanics of this potential mystery the painting. Who, where did it originate from? Who is supposed to actually own it? Like, how do they get it out? How do they, you know, how does it end up in Charles's? apartment it turns out it's a fake painting then amy schumer takes it out of the garbage can so it's like this whole like where did the painting go and uh, mm -hmm. it turns out to be a total MacGuffin anyway because it's not an actual real painting so it's been switched out at some point anyway mm -hmm. yep. but the first episode going back to the idea of how cozy it felt like they just jammed so many jokes into that first episode i can't even like i couldn't even write them down because I they were know. just like one minute after another and not just like the dialogue which was hysterical like very clever and just re you know digging into these relationships again but even like just like <laughs> like sight gags like we see that sting is moving out of his um penthouse mm -hmm. and he has his rain sticks are being moved <laughs> i love it 
yeah, this show all remains super, super clever, super quick. So uh, let's break down the the guest spots so far, and and I'll wrap. I'll leave one for the last because it's the one that ties into the episode too. But of course, we have first of all. Mike Rappaport, we see him right yes. away as the cop. I assume he's going to come back more. The investigation will continue. He could just be a cameo and like other cops that we met previously would continue the investigation. But I have a feeling he'll come back for, for this. Yes. And let me just interject. This is yeah. a tangent now. But um, Mabel was doing the absolute right thing by just responding to her question with saying lawyer. That mm-hmm. is what absolutely everybody should do in that situation. And just like the typical TV trope and it happens in real life as well. She nonetheless did speak to the police and try and answer some of their questions. Just say lawyer and shut your mouth, man. So um, just something to note, a tangent. <laughs> to all of you, this is good. This is more legal advice, what you come here for. So we come yeah, here for. <laughs> exactly. And disclaimer, again, I am not a criminal lawyer and I'm in no way qualified to give criminal legal advice, but I do know this. <laughs> <laughs> just say lawyer and don't speak. <laughs> don't, no matter what they ask you, no matter what they say, no matter how tempting it is, no matter how much you think there's been a misunderstanding, just say lawyer and shut your mouth. And then the next cameo or, you know, guest star is Kara uh, La- um, Delevingne. What do you mm-hmm. think of her? You know, so this is one of those that like, I could have looked it up, but I didn't look it up. And then I was distracted by like, but who is she? And then I finally did figure it out on my own, um, left to my own devices. You know, she's one of those people that I feel like you know, she's not of our generation. So yeah. like, I don't quite get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I thought she was fine in this role. Um, you know, I'm not particularly, I don't find her interesting or not interesting as a person. Like I'm just neutral about her. So a positive thing I would say in re- my reaction to her is that I've only seen her. You know, she's a model primarily, and she has right. done acting and I've seen her only in a couple of performances like that terrible Valerian uh, movie, a science fiction movie with Ethan Hawke's in that one actually too, but it's actually pretty bad. And uh, I've only seen her in this handful of things or maybe less than a handful, maybe three things or so. And I guess she always puts on an American accent. And I find this in general, when someone has a British accent and they're doing this very generic American accent, they come off as so like kind of flat and sometimes even like snobbish and like disinterested in what they're doing. And I always had that feeling from her and I just felt, you know, that it, with her, you know, na- natural native accent, she didn't give me those same kind of vibes. So, you know, my general rule of thumb, I would say for everybody out there is just like, just let people speak in their own accents. Like yeah. you know, pe- people mm-hmm. with British accents can live in the United States. It happens, people. There's millions of Especially British Especially in New York City. Especially right. in New York City. Just let them talk with their natural accents. Because I am yes. so tired of like hearing Emily Blunt, for example, who's a very enjoyable actually. I like her very much. But, you know, doing this like bland American accent is like, just let them speak in their regular mm-hmm, accent, please. Mm-hmm. stop. In general, I have a negative opinion of her is what I was trying to say. And in this regard, so far, I mean, we've only seen her for a few minutes. I didn't mind her. She didn't rub me the wrong way. And I think that just in her being her natural accent, it felt more natural for her. Amy Schumer, what did you think of her? Uh, you know, I like her generally. Um, I'm not like a super fan of hers, but I mm-hmm. do like her. Uh, and I enjoyed her here. I thought she was good. Um, <laughs> there's, you know, she's a little bit, um, I, I like the, the manic aspect of her character, I guess. Um, you know, just like very quick, really, you know, trying to get her foot in the door of getting the rights to this podcast. And, and I like that she's playing herself. I thought that was nice. Do, do you think they're trying to put her on our suspect list potentially by having her have this empathy for Jan? Or would they not dare to make Amy Schumer, a real person, a murderer on the show. I think they would be open to, to allowing that, actually. I think they would allow that. That's so interesting. I hadn't even considered it. It was, um, I was so disturbed by the bassoon playing. I guess I got distracted. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it's beyond the show at all to make her the murderer. So that is an interesting point that you're raising that I had not considered. And then, of course, the other real big cameo we see is it's in episode two. We see... Shirley McLean show up as Bunny's mom. Now, see, that is the one I hadn't looked up. And I was looking at her the whole episode going, but who is that? So thank you so much for enlightening me. <laughs> I didn't even There's know. Somebody. I just knew it was somebody. And I'm like, she's got to be somebody. It's got to be somebody. And I honestly was about to look it up 
uh, as the, the episode was ending. And then right, I was like, Shirley MacLaine. And then as soon as I thought it in my head, I just needed a close up of her. And I'm like, yes, that's her. <laughs> Had to confirm I, my you know, suspicions. No disrespect to Shirley MacLaine. I just have not thought about her in years. <laughs> Neither. I mean, she made a movie in 20 years I, I, or, or more, maybe. But she was great here. Yeah, I loved it. I, I love that character. She was terrific. Her Coco Teeny. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Cocotini, I like the fact that they bring they bring Howard back yes. uh, to um, to make the Cocotini. <laughs> he puts Coco with into a suspicious it. black eye. Don't yes, I was going to say that's the other yes. important clue here. Is mm-hmm. how, where did the black eye come from? I do not buy his story at all. Agree. All right. With that out of the way, do you have any guesses as to what they're laying out here at all at this early stage? You know, I really I have to say, in my advanced age, I have become a person <laughs> who goes along for the ride more than anything else with these movies and TV shows. I used to very much be a person that was like, let me get to the bottom of this. Let me have my theories and they'll be disproven as we go along and like very into solving the mystery. I've become much more a person that's like, I'm just going to see where this takes me. So I don't have any theories, but I'm totally willing to talk it through as we um, discuss it here. So, okay. Bunny's dead. Yeah. She was the president of the board. We did yeah. meet that um, the new president of the board. I don't think they introduced her for no reason. There, there will be some plot point involving her. Now the painting is gone. There's yeah. the theory that whoever took the painting is the murderer. And then there's this like sub mystery, right? Of the painter disappearing. Right. And, and Charles's the, dad was involved in some. And the romance between the painter and Charles's dad and Shirley MacLaine. Okay, that involves the missing artist. Maybe she's not going to be missing by the end of this. Do we know for sure she's dead? No, I mean, they, they don't know if she died or not. So it, and maybe another, who, who could it be? <laughs> who do right. they bring in yes. to, to top Seriously. Shirley MacLaine as <laughs> <laughs> the, the old lover? Who could it be? Someone of that generation. Judy Dench. <laughs> God, that'd be hysterical. <laughs> um, Barbara Streisand? No, she's not. Oh, my enough. God. Maybe, maybe. She's not old enough, though, is she? I mean, I guess she could be. I think so. Um, she was making movies in the 70s, 60s even, right? Fair mm-hmm. Lady, My Fair Lady, whatever that was. That was Audrey Hepburn. Oh, what am I thinking of? Funny Girl. Funny, funny, funny Girl. Funny Girl. girl. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, okay. Anyway, we digress. Um, <laughs> so. Trying to guess, uh, try to name old actresses now. <laughs> Future cameos. <laughs> and I was just going to throw in, in the middle of all that, definitely, why would they want to pin this on Mabel. Yes. Right. Like you could frame somebody else who doesn't have a popular podcast unless they're trying to draw the podcasters into the investigation, maybe of the faked painting, because once again, that's going to draw attention. If this person who did the murder is maybe looking Okay, here's here's my theory. It's starting to formulate now. It's in my brain starting to go now. And don't forget, we did see that card as well, Bunny Folger. I need your painting. I want your painting, yes. whatever it said. Yeah, that's what I was about to say, is that maybe somebody wanted the painting. The painting is fake. They know the painting is fake. They kill Bunny. She doesn't know. Maybe she either hid the painting, the real painting, or is completely clueless, does not realize that the painting's been switched. They murder her frame it on the podcasters so that the podcasters will do an investigation, right? And then theoretically find the real painting, Mm -hmm. which is what they really are trying to find. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you feel confident that the real painting was in Bunny's apartment? I mean, I guess her mom would have given it to her at some point. I don't, I don't think it was there when she died. I think that the switch probably occurred a while back because I I think if, if somebody went to, steal the painting and it was really there, then they would have stolen it and maybe not had to have killed Bunny at all. Or even if they did kill Bunny, then to leave the fake painting behind is just drawing attention because inevitably someone's going to you know, put this thing up for auction, be like, this is fake. And then just draw more attention to the fact that let's say they did steal it legitimately. Then that just means that they have a target on their backs now and they did, it's like self-imposed. So I assume I don't know. I kind of think it's a brilliant idea to steal a painting and put an impression in its place. I mean, it is a good idea. I think it's a good idea. It's one of those things like in plain sight, right? Where when Mm -hmm. you live someplace and you see something every day, you stop realizing, like, have you seen those? I'm really digressing now. This is what happens when we talk late (laughs) at night. 
But have you seen the show on like late at night being 10 o'clock? Um, <laughs> yes, late, late at night. Um, have you seen that? It's like a sometimes it'll be a TikTok or whatever where somebody goes through their family home and like replaces all the family photographs with a, like a photo of a random star from the seventies or something like that. <laughs> and they wait to see how long it will take their parents to realize that all the pictures have been switched and the parents never figure it out because <laughs> it's just something that like you're used to seeing it every single day and you stop looking closely at it. So all this to say, I think that could be a brilliant way to steal a valuable piece of art. Oh, no, I think that somebody, my theory is that someone stole Bunny's painting in the past, put in the fake one, and now, like, let's say in the present tense, you know, in this near term, that someone broke into Bunny's apartment or blackmailed her or whatever, wanted that painting, which is worth well over a million dollars, according to what they described here, maybe much more than a million dollars, and they discover that it's fake. And then they kill Bunny, not because they're angry that she you know, stole the painting from them or something, but because they want to incite the podcasters into investigating and potentially, dis- you know, sussing out the real painting. That's, that's what my theory is. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? No, it does make sense. It's just one of those, like, you're just really counting on events to unfold in a certain way. But well, I mean, yeah. that's why you throw Bunny into Mabel's room, right? <laughs> you kind of leave very little to, um, to chance. Fair, fair. And do you think that Jan will fit into this somehow? I originally thought that the Jan storyline would somehow come back into this season. That occurred to me a couple of times while I was watching this, but then she has in a the twin. end, she has a twin. I felt, oh shoot, no, I did not remember. Hmm, interesting. Because um, by the end of these couple episodes, I had convinced myself that no, it would not be a plot point here. But it did occur to me, and I had forgotten about the twin part. So very interesting. What do you think? I feel like you do, that I originally going in was like the Jan thing. Will, it'll be a continuation of last season. The Jan thing will definitely fold in somehow. And then, and maybe this is all just red herrings. Maybe it's all distraction. But as I'm watching the show, I'm like, no, I don't. I think this season is going to be about the missing painting and someone, uh, you know, like tracking down the missing painting and they're looking for it. And I actually don't think Jan will fit into it, but, you know, I threw my, you know, the twin is still out there or he can go to jail and, you know, uh, need her help for something. You know, he can go visit her there like Hannibal Lecter <laughs> inside of the lamps. <laughs> but, um, you know, so they, they could definitely bring her back uh, into the storyline if they wanted to. But I don't know. I don't know if they're going to bring her back or not. Uh, there seems to be enough going on that way. They, they wouldn't need to. But maybe that's this, maybe probably the why I decided yeah. it wouldn't be because they've already thrown so much out there that it just seems like you can add to that now with this. <laughs> but, but maybe. <laughs> What else was I going to say? Oh, and for next week, uh, this should be interesting. Oh, two things we leave on a cl- minor cliffhanger here at the end of this one is that the parrot knows who did it. I know who did it. So do you think that the parrot or parakeet, I don't know what kind of bird that is, actually knows? I mean, it was in there when the murder happened, right? I don't know that parakeets are... <laughs> Smart enough. Um <laughs> So, okay, first of all, I do love that they brought up the fact that birds do generally have a very long lifespan. Yeah. And so like when you get a bird, that is a real commitment, um, first of all. But second, I, I don't know that they're capable of doing anything besides parroting. Right. Yeah. So like, I, I don't know that a bird could be having the cognitive ability to exactly. form a sentence <laughs> that's a statement of culpability for um, for a murder. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm i more inclined to think that the bird is repeating something that it heard. Even if the bird saw something, which it obviously probably did, it could be a pattern that it does reveal that maybe somebody was hanging out with her that nobody knew about. But, you know, as far as the, you know, the bird just coming out with it, like they just ask her who killed her and he, he understands. and Right, exactly. Having a conversation with the bird. <laughs> exactly, um, right. They, uh, I do like that they, Bunny gets to, I like that Bunny gets to basically be, the actress gets to be in the show via the bird, <laughs> vocally anyway. Yes. A- I think my guess is that the bird is going to be saying things that seem like total non sequiturs. As things develop, it will make more sense why the bird is saying the things that the bird is saying and yes. things that seemed meaningless or random are not meaningless or random. So next week's episode, what do you think about this? I believe next week's episode is a bottle episode. It's Bunny's last day of life. What do you think about that? Interesting. Um, 
I think that has a lot of potential for being very New York-y. Yeah. So I look forward to it for that reason. I have no uh, real fondness for the bunny character, to be honest. So it's not like really exciting to see, oh my goodness, I wonder what her life was like. And I actually look forward to their like kind of a reclamation of her character. You can imagine her suddenly being given a much more sympathetic view, like they did sometimes Absolutely. last season, where yeah. they kind of give somebody their aside and you find out they're like more interesting than we originally thought. And yes. I do look forward to seeing that with with Bunny, especially now that she's been killed yes. off. So. Oh, by the way, I just want to point out we were talking about things that were just very funny. Um, and how this show is very funny. One thing that did make me laugh out loud um was the when they're trying to smuggle the painting back into Bunny's apartment, Mabel and mm-hmm. Oliver are running into the doorman with the two trolleys. And <laughs> yes, they do not want the like, tr- first of all, there is always the one bad trolley in every yes, building. Yes. There mm-hmm. is the one bad trolley that nobody can control. And it's like you're having a fight <laughs> with it yep. to just move your crap around is like such a struggle. So that was just so <laughs> true to form. And then <laughs> the way Oliver is just <laughs> so mean so angry to the doorman <laughs> was hysterical to me i mean it was just so mean <laughs> I, I mean i guess he just was trying to do the you know get the guy out of his life as fast as he could but it was brutal did you feel a little cheated by mabel's romance being her romantic <sighs> interest switched over from Oscar, how Oscar. Did you forget? Of course, of course, Oscar. From Oscar from last season, just because I'm pretty sure Oscar is coming back to the show. So I don't think that the actor's gone for good. And maybe he was acting, maybe he couldn't come back for the show. So they had to write around it. I don't know the details of any of the production, but regardless of how it came about, how did you think about them kind of abandoning him? And then like she suddenly has another romantic interest. What did you think about that? I do now remember at the end of the season, that scene at the dinner table. Where they were together, and it was very sweet. I thought, and very that's what romantic. I mean. You know, it's like so. Now I am like, kind of annoyed. What the hell happened? <laughs> I've made it worse. I've made it worse. Jeez. Because if they're just trying to like bring Kara Delavine into the fold or something, it's like, and who knows? Maybe she will have a flirtation with this woman, and then she does go back to Oliver. Who knows? Who knows? Right. So Oscar. And, yeah. Uh, no. Now I am kind of annoyed. What the <laughs> hell? They were very sweet together. I should have left that alone. Yeah. What um, happened? <laughs> I don't care that it's uh, with a woman, but like, what happened to that relationship? That's what I exactly. That's, yeah. I feel the same way. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, she could have been, like suddenly fallen in love with a guy who's an a guy who's an artist, right? Exactly. And I'm like, yes. so, well, what happened, to Oliver? Like, you know, I mean, Oscar. Sorry. Still Oscar. <laughs> Still Oscar. <laughs> what happened, to Oliver? Nothing. Hopefully, hopefully, nothing with Oliver. <laughs> that's an Ollie Mabel. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah and we'll leave it there for now uh oh just so everybody knows this is my plan to, i guess i'm telling you for the first time as well sona <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't actually think we're going to go and watch only murders in the building week to week but i think that once saul comes back our primary focus is going to be talking about saul however saul season is very short and only murders uh-huh. in the building has a long 10 episode season. So I think what we'll probably do is we'll talk about these episodes. We'll talk about the bunny episode next week because we have a free week. And then after Saul wraps up, we'll come back just in time for the finale because we'll have two more episodes to catch up and kind of give our impressions of the season and then be you know there for the final episode. So if you guys want to follow along out there, that's our plan. I also want to mention that another show that I'm going to be watching along the way, because Sona and I will be watching a show called The Patient after Better Call Saul wraps up, and it is a, interestingly, it's a show about a serial killer in a mental institute that takes his psychiatrist captive. But strangely, in about a week, there's a show coming on Apple Plus TV called Blackbird from Dennis Lehane, the writer of Mystic River and one of the writers of The Wire, the TV show The Wire, and a bunch of other things as well, Gone Baby Gone. Shutter Island and many, many other novels. And The Drop is a movie that he wrote. <clears throat> so very well established. And he is bringing this, uh, he's a full, it's the first time he's show running this show, which is about, based on a true story, about somebody who gets a chance to get out of jail early if they can get into the good graces of a serial killer and get them to confess to a murder. A very intriguing trailer. I think I sent it your way, right, Sona? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we will be watching that. So uh, I will be covering that with my sister primarily. But Sona, just so you know, anytime you want to jump into that conversation, feel free. We'll invite cool. you along. So do watch along. And everybody out there, you should watch as well. I think this is going to be an interesting show. And uh, I think it'll dovetail interestingly with 
the patient, which has a somewhat similar uh, plot and is, you know, they're going to run almost back to back. So it's kind of interesting that like a lot of things this year, we have a lot of story, a lot of uh, shows that have like similar plots running somewhat adjacent to themselves. So, and lastly, um, are you a fan of Anthony Bourdain? I am. Yeah. Did you see the documentary Roadrunner on HBO Max? I haven't. No, I've heard good things about it, though. Yeah, this came out in theaters last year, I guess it was. And now it just came out on HBO. And it came out within a week or so of a show called The Bear. Have you heard about the show, The Bear? I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. I just know that it exists. (laughs) And uh, I will be talking about that with my sister as well. She just binged it. It's all available at once. And I do recommend this show. It's about a young chef who his brother dies unexpectedly and he inherits his sandwich shop, but he's like an elite chef. And it's Mm -hmm. about his, these like cultures colliding, you know, family and addictions and this toxic work culture and all these things coming together in this kitchen. And after I saw it, I was like, I should watch the Anthony Bourdain documentary. And I found it really surprising the way there's like a lot of themes that are overlapping there, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's a fantastic documentary. So I would recommend that you definitely watch that. And uh, it's about this less than two hours long, but I guarantee you it was something I was going to put on. Like, maybe I'll watch a few minutes of this and come back to it later. Once you start watching it, you're not going to stop watching it. <laughs> it's, it's really, mm-hmm. really good. And really tragic, you know, when you think about, you know, they're That's there. That's why I haven't watched interest. it. Yeah. I would say, though, to be clear, and they address it directly in the first few minutes of the documentary, like they explicitly say, this is not going to be that kind of documentary. And I have to tell you that, you know, except for the, absolutely tragic ending of that documentary. It is such a uplifting story in the fact that here's this guy in his forties who basically is like, he even says this in one of his books that he thought like the, the adventure period of his life was over. And that all of a sudden he had this like whole second lease on life, which makes his you know ending even more tragic in a way. But it is, uh, you know, until he hits that terrible end, it's really like this very, uh, you know, a story about like, where if you have passion for something, the opportunities it gives you and like that love of life and love of adventure that he had. So anyway, it's all very tragic in the end, but the show, the movie is not, the movie is like a thrill ride and mm-hmm. a lot, a very, very good one. I, I really highly recommend it. So check mm-hmm. that out. Did you finish the flight attendant? Oh yes, I did finish the flight attendant. I loved it. Oh um, good, I'm glad. Yeah, I, I think I heard some people being, not people that I know, but just that, you know, I think I heard on Twitter or whatever, some people being disappointed with the second season. Uh, my only disappointment is that it's mainly set in LA because that was another very New York-y show. But um, other than that, I thought it was just like the first season, like really just a super fun ride that you like, you know, don't overthink it. There are a lot of problems. <laughs> there are a lot of plot holes, but it's still really, really fun to watch. Um I believe it's Sharon Stone plays her mom oh, wow. uh, in one episode, maybe two uh, really great interactions. Um, and just like the first season, even though it is super fun, funny, um, just like a great ride to go on. There are some very serious themes about addiction that they address as well that um, I think are really well done and actually very accurate. So I highly recommend it. Do you feel like they have a season three coming or, or no? Oh, good question. I hadn't thought about the season three thing. Um, there could be a season three. I think it's, they it's possible. It, they leave it open. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really, I, you know, I watched a lot of Big Bang Theory and never had a particular fondness for Kaylee Cuoco, but she does a great job here. I, I think I gave you my general impression when I started watching that too with you last year that I did not watch a lot of Big Bang Theory. And the little that I did watch, she was not a standout for me at all. I thought she played mm-hmm. a pretty generic role. And, you know, she didn't seem to rise above it that much in her performance. A very sitcom performance. And uh, I agree with you. I thought the first two, three episodes of that show, which were great, uh, she was incredible in it. Like she, I thought she like had to play so many different things and, you know, really showed a, a range and um, just a, charisma that I had not seen from her before. So yeah, I I was really impressed with her in that show. My issues, like I said, was like the plotting just became just kind of, 
it was either nothing was happening or it was just very convoluted at some point. But the uh, but I mean, I thought her performance, which is really what the show is really about in a lot of ways, was great. I thought she did a terrific job. Yeah. And I think it would be the main reason I would come back for for season two. Yeah. Yeah. I think that continues here. Um, Not just in the, as, as I said, not just in the fun stuff, but there's definitely some very direct um dealing with the issues surrounding her addiction, addiction and her history with that that were really honestly well done like as someone who does have some personal experience with it like very moving honestly kim definitely started that show i don't know if she finished it but i'll have to check with her also but uh she did enjoy the beginning of that show uh when she started watching it I, I, i'm not sure if she made it all the way through season two though but maybe i'll ask her tomorrow yeah, it's just so fun. I mean, just all around, it's a very, very fun show. That's had great music in that, by the way. I'm a big fan of a show that has great music, and that show had great music. Same. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll leave that there for now. Enjoy the rest That's of your vacation. Thank you so much. And we'll regroup next week and talk about the third episode of Only Murders in the Building. And we, maybe we talk about the Anthony Bourdain doc, if you get a chance to watch it. Be watching Better Call Saul in the near future. All to come. All right. Thanks a lot. A lot lies ahead. Great. (laughs) Many thanks. (laughs) Take care. Take care. For us, Hamzad has all this leverage. We are following his script. And then an unqualified busybody that nobody likes gets put in charge of this op? How does that make any sense? It doesn't. You don't seem too concerned about this. No, I can understand why you'd be. That's how I taught you to play the game, like a cop. To a cop, a puzzle is a thing to be solved. But the other game, the one that Chase and I played when we were young, the one I'm starting to realize we're playing again, that game has no rules. Its puzzles have no solutions. They just lead to other puzzles. That's what makes this game so interesting. It's not for the faint of heart, but it's a hell of a drug. All right, Celia. So I wanted to get your opinion of The Old Man, episode three. I think it's just called three, Roman numeral three, which is the same naming convention they had, by the way, for Black Sails, going back to the fact that this is the same showrunners as Black Sails. They also had like the last episode of that show was just 38, <laughs> Roman numeral 38. And they're, um, I don't know if this show is going to last multiple seasons, but right now they're using the same uh, conventions there. But before we get there, I did want to mention another thing that you can watch on Hulu. The entire thing's available on Hulu right away. And I think specifically you're going to enjoy this. I've only gotten halfway through it. It is not really my cup of tea, but there's enough going on that I do want to see it, especially because it's such a quick binge. And uh, But I think you would really like this. It's only eight episodes long. They're less than half an hour each, so it's a very quick binge if you wanted to watch it over the weekend or something. And it's called The Bear. Have you, uh, have you heard of the show? I've heard of it. have not seen it. It's I forget the actor's name. It's one of the guys from Shameless, and he plays a young guy who basically had, he had literally won an, won an award for like the hottest new young chef. I've so. seen the commercial though, like the trailer. Yeah. His brother dies. Yes. So his brother dies and he leaves him his sandwich shop. So now you have this like very elite chef and he is trying to run at this sandwich shop. It very much has the energy of shameless, which by the way, also could rub me the wrong way. But like I said, doesn't annoy me as much here because it's such a limited series. But I think that especially if people who are fans of that type of energy in a show, it's a very dysfunctional family. And in between all the terrible things they do to each other, they really do love each other. And it's also like a workplace type comedy, not really a comedy. It's a dramedy. There's not much comedy here. There are some like ridiculous situations, but it's not like laugh out loud. And uh, but it is like a workplace type dramedy similarly you know he goes in there no one wants to like follow the new way of doing things they've been there for a while and then of course over the course of the show everybody starts getting into the flow and stepping up their game and realizing that you know what we can make this place a great sandwich shop and meanwhile it's a dump so they're like getting bad grades by from the health board and stuff so there's all that day-to-day bs they have to deal with but i did find it entertaining every time i got annoyed by something uh i would uh be entertained by something else. And it has a great soundtrack, by the way, a great soundtrack. And it's all shot in Chicago, a great use of 
the Chicago landscape as well. So yeah, I recommend it. And I think specifically you, you would definitely get into this, I think. I did not find shameless annoying. I only found yeah, shameless that's annoying. Why saying, that's why I'm saying that you'll probably be into it. Exactly. <laughs> I like the energy of shameless. Like I looked forward to seeing what was exactly. going to happen. That's so, why I'm recommending this for you because for me, I'm watching it. <laughs> exactly. For me, <laughs> shameless was. I'm going to be like, yay. Right. Exactly. Shameless for me was like, I could only get through season one because it was just too much. And I'm like, all right, I can't watch this for, you know, and of course it was on for like 10 seasons after that, which of course I didn't even bother trying to follow along with it. And I didn't hate it, but like I said, not my vibe, but I know it is your vibe. So uh, it was my vibe until they got rid of Fiona. I I, I didn't see it after Fiona. Well, I I haven't. (laughs) That's that's way past where I've episode i know but i watched sure nine episodes up until yeah. then so yeah i'm gonna watch nine seasons it. you mean right nine seasons nine seasons like wow. like nine thousand episodes <laughs> until they got rid of fiona yeah so yeah check that out the bear it's available on fx and on hulu as well and it's all available at once which honestly i have to say that's part of the reason that i'm kind of churning through it it's like 25 minutes and then boom, the next episode starts and you just keep watching. It's like, you know, eating Pringles or something. But honestly, I probably wouldn't be as vested in finishing the thing off if I had the week wait week to week. So I think it was smart of them to release the whole thing at once, because I think this is how you probably should watch the, the, the show. And plus it's short. I mean, in the end, it's less than four hours. You can definitely do this in a weekend, you know? I'll watch it. Yeah. I'm excited. Interested so far. Yeah. So how did, what did you think of this episode of the old man? I have so many thoughts. Yes. Let me hear them. (laughs) First of all, he sometimes is a bad guy and he's not aware of it. And his glove interest is kind of a wuss. Yeah. She's always like victimizing her memories in her head and she lets her son push her around and she admits he just doesn't. You know, and now she can't even get, she's not going to be able to get away from this guy. She's right. so wishy-washy about yeah. whether or not he could stay there, whether or not he can have dogs, whether or not like she's going to escape. I guess now that she is in that boat, like she is a disaster. Yeah. So I want to see what he's going to do with her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the question. That's the mystery here is whether he's going to have to murder her or something. <laughs> she will be so easy to murder. <laughs> he could if he needed. I don't, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't want to. I mean, he definitely doesn't want to. He may have to, but he definitely doesn't want to. Um, a couple of things I wanted to mention based on the last episodes. When I was putting together last week's recap, I excerpted two pieces of audio. And uh, the reason I specifically excerpted those two pieces is because I think thematically that's what the show is about. So the first one was the scene where uh, Joel Gray is painting at the easel and um, John Lithgow is there, you know, talking to him. And that's where he like gets the phone number for that assassin who turns up this week. But you have that whole conversation, which I think is one of the big themes of the show. All that matters in the end when you're like old is that what is your legacy going to be? You want to know that what you leave behind, even if it's not true, is this story that's clear. There's good guys, there's bad guys. And I think that's really what they're trying to delve into here. Not only on an interpersonal level, but also like the history of this fight in Afghanistan and the history of these countries, et cetera. And it's basically saying that it's worth sacrificing. Like literally he's saying it's worth sacrificing the lives of people to preserve that mythology, which of course is very problematic when you think about that as a philosophy. And maybe that is a legitimate philosophy uh, with a lot of decisions people make. And the second thing I excerpted was a scene that I forgot to bring up in our conversation when Amy Brenneman's character tells him the two versions of the history of her marriage or the end of her marriage. And Jeff um, Bridges responds to her, why would you tell yourself this story that way? And she goes, I tell it both ways, right? And to your point, I think that is something that the show is exploring and they bring it up again. In this episode, he needs to feel, even when he does bad things, that he is the good guy. And I think that that conversation she has is illustrating that in the context of the show, that he doesn't see that. He doesn't see what she is saying, that I can tell this story two different ways because he is always telling himself his version of the story where he is always the good guy, (laughs) right? Although, like you said, he's not always a good guy, by the way. He has no idea, though, that some of this stuff is so gray that it's 
like charcoal. <laughs> it's so much blacker than what he is telling himself. In that other thing, I don't know if I should even, you know, say anything about you know what. Oh yeah, yeah. No, we could we, we could do full spoilers. Yeah, no, we're we're in spoilers here. Well, you were right. <laughs> I was right. Yes. <laughs> well, this one I'm not going to be. I pat myself on the back, like for example, in uh, the Obi Wan Kenobi show, which just wrapped up recently, I called out one of the characters in the very first episode, I'm like, she's going to be a good guy at the end. And, uh, you know, the, one of the people I was interviewing this week was like, you called it, you called it in episode one. I'm not going to pat myself on the back for this one because I just simply recognized like that the actress, because I know that actress, I'm like, well, that's her on the phone <laughs> and that's her at the <laughs> desk. It's the same person. <laughs> it's, this doesn't take rocket science to figure this one out. You know, so I didn't know it was her on the phone. <laughs> I think if you don't recognize the voice, it's, it's not as, straightforward but if i had known they were going to reveal this right away i would have just said it last week i was worried because i'm like i literally googled it online going is anyone else seeing what i'm seeing and there was no reference to it in reviews there was no reference to it on message boards even fans weren't talking about it i'm like i don't want to say this if this is supposed to be like the twist on the last episode and i'm ruining the show for everybody <laughs> but i'm so very glad that they did not draw this out they reveal it immediately which is very good She's doing a really good job too as the daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I do have questions though. If you were this girl in hiding, I mean, I would not go work at the CIA. Well, she's feeding him information, right? She's literally telling him in this episode that you have a limited amount of time. Like she's telling him you're you're on the clock right now. She's there in part to allow him to stay a step ahead. But this is, I'm going to make some criticisms about this episode. I do not think it was as good as the first two. And the, one of the criticisms I would make is when you see her reacting so badly to John Lithgow talking about her mother, if she's been playing her cards like this, this whole entire time, <laughs> how has she not, how has she been undercover this whole entire time? Doesn't everybody have figured this out? I mean, you see John Lithgow giving her like the stink eye in this episode. You have to assume this isn't the first time she's almost reacted incorrectly. And by the way, that guy, uh, the other guy, that the, the kind of like the thorn in everybody's side, he feels it right away too, right? He threatens her going, if there's something you're trying to hide, you're doing a bad, very bad job of hiding it. I'm like, if she's this transparent, <laughs> how has no one ever figured this out before? Do you think he knows who she is? Yeah, no, I think so. I think that's what I mean. The only thing that kind of makes sense here would be that she does know. Okay, but I was thinking the exact same thing as I was watching the show, whether he knows or not. I was pretty certain watching this show that he absolutely knows. And this is his way of keeping tabs on this guy as well. He talks about this game he's playing. There's the game you play politically. There's the game you play as when you play the role of the detective. And then there's the other game you play he's talking about. In that scenario, he's playing the other game, which is letting the, the daughter be close to him. And that, of course, in a way protects him because the daughter's nearby. If he ever needs to protect himself, she becomes a shield. And simultaneously, if he's like bugs her phone, is listening in other conversations. She's also, he's always keeping tabs. I don't know because in yeah. the first show, he's like, I will find her wherever she is. Right. That's cetera, all part of the act. That's all part of the act, right? He wants so to make sure So you that think that he knows who she is, but is pretending he doesn't know who she is? Th that was my going in position. However, however, I'll take that back because I don't think if that was legitimate, he would have spoken that way about her mother in front of her with her in the room, unless she was he was trying to get a reaction from her. So maybe, maybe my theory is still correct. And maybe Lithgow, this is all part of the way Lithgow is manipulating her and testing her. I am very curious to see, cause I'm like, does he know it's her? And I'm yeah. like, no, he doesn't know yeah. for all like the reasons you said and a couple of other nuances. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, does her dad even know she works for the CIA? Is he aware? He or knows. He, he you knows. Think he definitely knows. I think he definitely knows. They didn't explicitly say it in this episode, but when she's on that phone conversation and she tells him, you don't have much time left, I think she's giving him a heads up. She's not just saying, I have a gut feeling you're in trouble. She's telling him, have you left the house yet? You have limited time left. <laughs> like she's telling him you're on the clock right now. Hmm. So many questions. So many all right. The biggest scene in this episode that really rubbed me the wrong way. And like I said, this isn't a terrible episode by any stretch of the imagination, by the way, just not as exceptional as his first two. And uh, just in the way it was shot, just the way it was put together, it just didn't have that kind of feel anymore. 
a lot of that is just like plot. They have to like put the characters in place. They have to do the flashbacks. So you see when they met. So a lot of it is just that type of stuff that I'm not a big fan of, but fine. You have to do that work. I accept it. The one scene that really rubbed me the wrong way is just a straight up bad scene is when she's on the phone with Amy Brenneman being like, you should go with my dad because he's really not such a bad guy. My only excuse for that terrible scene would be that if he, she's basically trying to protect Amy Brenneman, like in other words, get out of that house because A, you're either going to get killed or B, you might say something like, if my dad doesn't kill you, that you're going to say too much and then you know give away my dad. So, I mean, unless she's trying to man- manipulate her, if she's earnestly being like, you don't know my dad for real, not knowing someone's name, it's just you no know, name doesn't really matter. <laughs> and you know, you guys can be happy together. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you don't know this woman. You don't know, what are you talking about? Your dad just dad slept with her one time. Like, what is this conversation? I think it's a couple of things. One, I think she believed everything she was saying. So I'm just going to say that. But at the same time, she's aware that her dad has to take her with him. He has to. So at this point, she's telling her, you know, her romanticized. Yeah, I'll give you a reason. I'll give you a reason to go rather than you getting like tied up and thrown in the trunk. (laughs) I feel like she's like. Okay, give me the phone. I'm going to convince this woman to go with you because of these idealized notions I have that I truly believe in. But so I believe it's both that she is telling her things that she thinks are real in a way to get her into the car with her dad and kind of to avoid the drama of her not going. So it's two things. You know what? You you convinced me now. Like that's a rational explanation. Like you said, if he's going to walk out of that place and either kill her or abduct her, much better that she leaves of her own free will. Right. So all right. So I, I buy that now. And I do agree, by the way, that everything she said was true because that's how you manipulate people, right? You tell them the truth, you don't lie to them. You know, the anecdote about when she was younger and everything is all 100 percent true. But at the same time, you know, I just was like, why is she telling her these things? Like, these are not, this is not something you tell somebody you hooked up with after one day. But you make a very, very good point that if she knows what's coming, this is the uh, you know best way to, 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 to deal with it, right? I don't feel like she was being manipulative. I do this all the time where I put something I want done in this light that I actually believe and then people do what I say. <laughs> that is no, manipulative. But, but I do it with a with a big open heart. Yeah. It's never, I never do anything in th- like that to try to get someone to do something that I feel is dangerous yeah. or wrong oh, or I that take they your point. may yes. not even want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of sell the idea because right. I want them to do it. Right. So I, think I, your, like I take your point that if it's going to happen one way or another, she's basically saying here is like a positive reason why you should do <laughs> what I want you to do. I see your point. It's not a negative manipulation. It's just putting things in the best light possible. For their own good in your right. head anyway. Right. right. <laughs> AKA manipulation. <laughs> we can, we can, <laughs> we can uh, <laughs> I, I agree with your point. I disagree with the, your, your, my your version definition. of manipulation. <laughs> exactly. But I will, uh, but I do agree with your overall point. And you have convinced me that that is a rational explanation for that conversation, which I was like, what, what is this conversation about? So that, that does help because that was for me, the scene that rubbed me the most wrong way. I was strangely happy. And I kind of knew this was going to happen anyway. I was strangely happy that the assassin that comes in uh, wasn't dead at the end of this, because I'm like, when they introduce someone like, oh, this is interesting, you know, having this guy who's like this, he's taking care of his grandma. He helps that girl onto the bus, but he also happens to be like Barry, basically <laughs> a nice, <laughs> a nice uh, uh, um, assassin who's good at his job. Um, and uh, he survives that. So I'm sure they're going to meet again. And I assumed that was going to be the case because you wouldn't set a character up like that and then only have them in one scene of the show. Uh, oh, and those dogs, once again, MVPs of the week are the dogs that are always there to take, you know, have his back. Good thing. He should have four dogs. <laughs> like did. as he gets older, he needs more dogs. He How might, yeah, hot at least a was it when he was in that fight sequence? All his sequences are so hot. This is why I think he's sexy. I'm like, you <laughs> know. You go look how tough you are, man. You're tough. 
my hats off to Jeff Bridges, by the way, who, I mean, as far as I can tell, unless they're doing a lot of really subtle CGI work, is doing all that fight sequencing in his 70s. He has just recovered. He just had COVID, by the way, and recovered from cancer last year. <laughs> way to go, man. I, I hope I can do that when I'm 70 after having cancer and still pulling this off. So anyway, good for him. Oh, and of course, the backstory. That's probably the only other thing we need to talk about. The backstory of, uh, you know, the whole situation in Afghanistan. It turns out it's the wife of the same guy who's seeking his revenge now. And uh, and it's the whole thing, right? You know, we know he's a tribal leader. He's up in the mountains. He's bringing them weapons. The Russians are literally parachuting in at that moment at the end of the episode. And uh, he's going to get into their good graces and eventually they're going to run off together. So once again, I'm glad that they didn't drag that out. Like all that speculation I had last week. It's not like we have to wait until episode five to figure this out. It's like, well, yeah, everybody knew this already. Nope. It's all there in episode three. You know, now they can just move forward with the plot, which is great. I mean, I, I think that they're doing a very efficient job of telling the story. I think so too. I'm wondering why she ran off with him and left her husband, the warlord. He must've done something to really make her mad because when she starts out and we meet her she loves her husband she's trying to protect him against the jeff bridges character yeah yeah i'm interested in that as well that's probably one of the biggest plot developments that i'm curious to figure out for the reasons you said now we know that she always kind of wanted to come to the united states you know that she may very well even though she is very powerful right he even you know he seems to respect her and know the power she has in you know, changing hearts and minds in his favor, speaking to the women in other uh, tribes, but that was kind of limited for her. Or the other thing I was thinking that might be interesting, I don't know if the math works out from an age perspective, probably not. So that's, I was going to say that I was wondering if um, Aaliyah Shawkat is his daughter, the, and he, she wanted her daughter to live in America, basically to have the opportunities that that would mean. And that potentially Jeff Bridges is not actually her biological dad, but I don't think the math works out because they I mean the, the war in Afghanistan, you're looking at, uh, you know, it's about 40 years ago, 35 to 40 years ago. And I don't think she's 40 years old. <laughs> I think she's like probably like early thirties or something, maybe late twenties, early thirties. No, I think it's his daughter. She's yeah. very, um, very invested in him and, yeah. You'd still be invested, even if it was a, your, I mean, it's the only dad she'd ever known, but still, I just don't think the math works out. Her character is interesting. The yeah. spy girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's imagine my imagine main... living that way. Imagine living that way. Hmm. I love this show. <laughs> I'm enjoying it as well. Anything else you've been watching? Let's see. Very limited time with all me going on boats and everything so far this year. I'm still watching Carnival. Because mm -hmm. I'm in love with Carnival yep. and I'm trying to watch it slower now. So it lasts even longer yep. because the visuals alone are amazing to me. I love old circuses too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Oh, speaking of old circuses, have you um, watched Nightmare Alley? Oh, I did. Yes. Yeah. That was really good. Really good. I don't want to give anything away. It's no, so I, good. Yeah. I have a the review. The end was like, yes. what? <laughs> yeah, the, what? Yeah. Yes, that was great. You should read, read that book, by the way, from 1948. The novel itself is so much darker than that movie, as dark as it is. And it was really shocking to read this book from the 1940s and being, you know, because obviously the movies in the 1940s had that production code. So they had to like not put things in there. And I read that book and I was just like, holy cow, they wrote books like this in the 1940s. Like, oh my God, this is crazy. But uh, anyway, it's pretty brutal. And uh, yes, yeah, so I would recommend that. And I actually have an episode, if anyone wants to track it down, in this same feed where I watched the movie and I read the book and I kind of broke down the whole thing, the movie, the book. And uh, there's the crazy story, by the way, you should track down that episode. The author of that book has the craziest biography, the craziest biography. You should definitely check it out. Really? Yeah. It's really unbelievable. Like basically he wrote that book when he was young, like young and then his life became that book. <laughs> it's really crazy. <laughs> and there's other nice. stuff too. Like, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole, uh, his wife at the time, when he his eventually married C.S. Lewis, the guy who wrote the Narnia novels and moved to London, to England. And then she died of cancer. And there's a whole play and movie called Shadowlands, which is just about that relationship. Like his life is like five movies. <laughs> it's pretty nuts. And that's it. Cool. All right. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Well, bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>